If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis, you know what, we're going to start in 37, Genesis chapter 37. And what I want to talk about or look at this morning is simply this, the gift of grace. The gift of grace. You know, uh, many of you received really cool gifts this past week. Some of you received white elephant gifts. Or some of you got gifts as real gifts that could be used next year as white elephant gifts. You know, we give each other all sorts of things, but our God uh, is such an amazing God. And the gift of grace is pictured so much uh, throughout Joseph's life. Over and over again, we see the picture of our Lord Jesus Christ and things that, that he did and is still yet going to do. And to truly understand the gift of grace that he extends to his brothers later in life, we really need to, I want to take us back and, and read through what they did to him. And so we're going to read two full, almost full chapters of Scripture this morning. Um, but again, uh, you know, the Word of God is what we need to hear this morning. And so I hope that you'll just lay aside everything else of the day. And, and you know, this will be outside of your own Bible reading. This will be the most important thing that we read all day. And so I hope that you'll give your heart and attention to it at this time. But um, let's notice here how the brothers treated Joseph. Look at Genesis 37, if you would, with me. And the scripture says here in verse number one, And Jacob dwelled in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his brethren, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when, he saw, and when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood around about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, and this shows you they understood the interpretation of the dream. Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy, thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And this is amazing to me because as students of the Bible, you know what happens. And it seems so impossible at that time. Are, are we really going to come down and bow before you, Joseph? But when God says something, no matter how outlandish it may seem, no, no matter how crazy it might seem, when the Lord has given us His Word, it's going to happen. And so verse 11 says, And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. And his brethren went to feed their flocks in Shechem. And if you remember, Jacob sends Joseph to go check on his brothers. And we'll skip down here to verse number uh, 7. Uh, look at verse 16. Uh, Joseph, he's out wandering out in this field trying to find his brothers. And he runs across this certain man. And, uh, and he said, I seek my brother and tell me, I pray thee, where they feed the flocks. And the man said, they are departed hence. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. 
And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come, in, come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands, to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was coming to his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going down, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? That won't bring us any money. Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh, and his brethren were content. So it's not going to profit us anything if we just kill him. How can we make a profit out of him? Let's sell him. Great brothers, right? But their hate and their envy was so intense against him that the brethren were content to do this. Verse 28, Then there, were, then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And again, all of you, you're seeing the pictures over and over again of our Lord Jesus Christ, the myrrh that they bring in. And uh, at our Lord's birth, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that myrrh, that picture of His death and burial. And then here being sold for 20 pieces of silver. And, you know, Judas betrayed our Lord for just, I think it was 30 pieces of silver, if my memory serves me correctly. Verse 29, And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brethren, and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a, a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. Now we know that Joseph was with the Midianites, those merchantmen. And chapter after chapter... Of God's word goes by, and year after year in Joseph's life goes by. And his brothers, they, they never really know what happened to him. They know what they did, and they know the last time they saw him. But whether he died in slavery, they, they have no idea. And we know that Joseph uh, gets into um, Potiphar's house and, and is a, an amazing leader there. The Bible says that God was with him. And Potiphar just, he, he lets Joseph run everything because he's doing such a fantastic job with it and God is blessing his hand. And then one day Potiphar's wife begins to cast her eyes on Joseph. And he tells her no, he refuses, he, he gets himself out of those situations. But we know that she falsely accuses him of forcing her. And he winds up in jail. And then two of the king's servants, the butler and the baker, not the candlestick maker, the butler and the baker end up in prison with Joseph. And they have dreams. And they tell him the dreams. And God gives Joseph the interpretation of the dreams. And one of them, he's going to be restored to his office. The other one is going to be hanged. And exactly what God told Joseph was going to happen, 
happened. And Joseph told the, the one that was restored, he said, don't forget me, don't forget me here. But he forgot. And two more years of Joseph's life go by as he rots in an Egyptian dungeon. Well, we know that Pharaoh one night dreams a dream and no one in the land can interpret that dream. And so Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's officer, he remembers his fault, the Bible says. And he says, there's this guy, there's this Hebrew that was in the prison that he told me the interpretation of my dream. Maybe he can help you. And so they bring Joseph up out of prison and God does give Joseph the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. And the interpretation is there's going to be seven years of plenty in the land. And then there's going to be seven years of famine that come that devour up the seven years of plenty. So much so, the famine is going to be so bad that people don't even remember. The Bible says they don't even bring it into their minds how good the seven years were before the famine. And so Joseph says, you need to get a man that's going to begin to set aside a certain amount of grain, a certain amount of corn, and begin to prepare for this. And Pharaoh says, I know there's just the man for the job. And he looks at Joseph and he promotes him to the second in command. Pharaoh said, only in the throne will I be greater than you. So this amazing exaltation of Joseph, which is an amazing picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the famine comes and Joseph's family, he has no idea over these many years what has happened to them. But one day the brothers show up at his doorstep and they need corn. And Joseph realizes that it's his brothers, but they don't recognize him. The Bible says he speaks roughly to them. He speaks through an interpreter. Joseph could have, he could have very easily spoken to them in the Hebrew tongue, but he spoke through an interpreter to mask his identity. An amazing picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he came unto his own the first time. He came to the Jews. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The verse goes on to say, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so Joseph, he sends away his brothers with the corn, with the provision, and they get so far away and they realize that the money, they stay the night at the inn, and they realize the money is still in the sacks that they had paid for their grain. They don't know what to do. They don't know what's going on, but they continue to go home. And they tell Jacob about their father, about this Egyptian man that they think is an Egyptian, this man that they met. And time goes by and the provision that they got at that time ran out. And if you remember... Joseph had told his brothers, he thought they were spies. And they said, we have one other brother at home that didn't come with us. And he said, the next time you come, I want you to bring that other brother. I want you to bring Benjamin. Or else we're going to treat you as spies. And he kept Simeon. He kept one of the brothers. So Simeon's sitting there for quite a while. I kind of wonder if Simeon maybe was a little bit of a ringleader back there when Joseph was 17 years old. Jacob was going to help him out, try to remember what happened. And so as we catch up to this account, Joseph's brothers come back. They bring double the money that they had in their sacks. Jacob wanted to make sure they didn't have any oversight this time. And, and uh, he wanted to, uh, they, they needed this provision. And if you remember, Joseph treats them very, very well. And Simeon has been treated very well. And so in chapter 44, he has his servants load up the sacks for his brothers, because they're going to go back to Egypt the second time, or they're going to go back home the second time. And if you remember, they put Joseph's silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And so when they get so far away from the kingdom here, his servants overtake his brothers. And they, they describe to him, they, they say, how can you uh, have mistreated our, our, our uh, leader so poorly? And uh, if you look at verse number 
8, the Bible says, The brothers here, Behold, the money which we found in our sack's mouth, we brought again into thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? They're saying, We brought you the money back double. Why would we steal from you? And so verse 9, With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. And he said, Now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. And so Judah, Judah's the one speaking up here saying, Listen, we didn't steal from you. We brought back double your money. Why would we do that? If, we, if we've stolen something from you, uh, we'll, just, we'll be your servants. That's how confident he was that they didn't have anything that belonged to Joseph. Verse 11, Then speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Now, if you remember, Jacob didn't let Benjamin go because he told the brothers, if something happens to Benjamin, you will bring down my hairs. You'll bring me down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. He couldn't take the thought of losing Benjamin the way he had lost Joseph. And Judah knows that. And look at what he says in verse number 14. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done? What ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. This is an amazing point in Judah's life where he comes to the end of himself. And he admits his sin. He admits his wrongdoing. And he says, he finally stops saying, I have no excuses. I have nothing to say. I, I, I cannot justify any of it anymore. I'm guilty. And when Joseph sees the amazing display of Judah and Judah's love for Benjamin, that was so amazingly different than Judah's treatment of Joseph those many years ago. The Bible says in chapter 45 of verse 1, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him and cried, Cause every man to go out for me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. What had Judah done? Judah was in this in this text, he was going to sacrifice himself for Benjamin, saying, take me, I'm not going back to Jacob without Benjamin. And, and Joseph sees the remorse, he sees the, the, uh, the, the uh, repentance in Judah's life. And, and Joseph is so overcome with emotion, and he had been able to keep it together so well before his brothers before. But here he can't refrain himself anymore, and he causes all the Egyptians to go out. Verse 2, the Bible says, And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Can you imagine being one of the brothers and hearing those words? You, you thought maybe he was dead. You have no idea what happened to him. And the first time you've seen him since you sold him, that you recognize him, he says, I am Joseph. And as one of the brothers, do you think, is he going to kill me? Is he going to throw me into slavery? Is he going to go? I mean, he has the, the might of the Egyptian army behind him. Look at the, the leadership role that he has. Look at the, the, the way he's been elevated in, in the Egyptian culture. Is he going to go get my whole family and throw us in jail? What is he going to do to retaliate? What is he going to do to return the favor that we showed to him so many years ago? What's he going to do? Can you imagine all of the thoughts that might be going through your mind in just those few split seconds? Verse 3, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, 
Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. Wow. What an amazing gift of forgiveness and grace that Joseph is about to pour out on his brothers in this chapter. Let's pray and then we'll study the rest of this text. Lord, thank you so much for the amazing forgiveness and grace that you have provided for us through your death, your burial, and your resurrection. God, we are undeserving sinners, and we just thank you for being a great God this morning. Lord, I pray that as we continue to read your words, I pray that you'd help us to see how great you are, how great your forgiveness is. And Lord, help us to be willing to extend that to others that may have wronged us and to ourselves. Lord, maybe somebody in here dealing with guilt this morning. And uh, Lord, help us to treat others as you have treated us. We thank you for being such an amazing Savior. Ask for your help with this this morning. In Christ's name, amen. We saw how Joseph's brothers treated him. We're going to spend the majority of our time this morning seeing how Joseph treated his brothers. I do want us to get, <laughs> excuse me, um, I just want to read this to you because it is important to make the doctrinal connection. That, jo- that G- Joseph revealing himself to his brothers this second time is an amazing picture of what Jesus Christ is going to do with the nation of Israel. The first time they didn't recognize him. The first time they rejected him. The second time when he comes back, I am Holdeman, that uh, famous Baptist preacher from the early 1900s. He said this, Joseph was revealed in his true glory to his brother in the second time. Yet beautifully, yet the beautiful and deeply touching as it is, this is but a shadow of that other moment when the real Joseph shall be made known to his brethren. It will be an interview the like of which the world has never seen. That moment when repentant Judah shall bow down with tear-wet cheeks before him who was the crucified. In that hour, they will bemoan the crime of the cross, and the loving and tender Joseph will seek to comfort them, showing them that God and His eternal purpose was behind their fall, showing them that the terrible, that terrible and inexcusable as it was, that God has made the great hours of darkness and blindness on their part to turn to the enlightenment and enrichment of the Gentile world. You see, when Jesus Christ comes back, the Jews will recognize Him as their Savior. And here, for us, what we're going to spend our time examining this morning is as a believer, as a New Testament believer in Jesus Christ. What I mean by that is you realize that, that your sins have separated you from God, but that Jesus Christ paid the penalty to redeem us back to Himself. And you, by faith, have just trusted in what He's done for you on the cross. As a believer, Joseph pictures what Jesus Christ has done for us. And, and notice this in a few ways. The, <clears throat> so we're going to look at, at three gifts here. The first one this morning is Joseph gave them a personal relationship. Joseph gave them a personal relationship. In verse number 4, he says, And, and Joseph said, come, to, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. The first thing that Joseph did after he revealed himself, who he was to his brothers, he said, guys, I want you to come here. I, I want you to come near. He, he invited them into his presence. And what the scripture says for us is in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus... Ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. The Bible says, as you read it in the Old Testament, hold your place here in Genesis. I want you to see this. Look at, look at uh, Luke chapter 1. 
Luke chapter 1, we're reminded in the Old Testament of the way that, that people were praying to God. And uh, sometimes we just take for granted so much the access that we have to the Lord. In Luke chapter 1, and at verse number, this is Zacharias there, he's, he's ministering in the temple. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 1, verse 8, And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying inside at the time of incense. They weren't inside, were they? Where were they? Without. Without. Remember when the Lord appeared on Mount Sinai? Let Moses come up into the mount. What did he tell everybody else to do? Stay away. Those of you guys, I think some of you have been studying it there in that Humanity of Christ class, where the Lord said, anything that touches this mountain, it's going gonna, it's gonna to die. You can't come near. You can't come close. The Bible says in Hebrews that, that the, the way into the holiest before Christ died, it wasn't yet made apparent. It wasn't yet open. But when Jesus Christ died on that cross, the veil in the temple was rent in twain. And now the Bible says that we have boldness and access to God by His Spirit and by faith. So you know what God says to you? This, this amazing forgiveness that He offers to you, He says, I want you to come near. I want you to be with me. I want you to read my word. I want you to listen to the words that I have to say to you. And I want you to pray. I want you to talk to me and just pour out your heart to me. I want you to come near. Um, James chapter 4 says this, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. You and I have the opportunity of any moment, of any day, to draw near to Almighty God. Uh, this week, i got to tell you, my mind was blown away. I was, I was, it was kind of a year in review of different science photos, different things that had been happening in the science world this, this year. And um, one of the photographs that I looked at, it, the Hubble Space Telescope is further out and was able to take the, the furthest picture out that it's ever taken. And to see these galaxies, it was, it, was so, it was so much more colorful than I thought. And you see some of these galaxies that are in spirals and, and next to another galaxy, next to another galaxy. And we, we, our minds would just be blown as to how big the universe is. And that God that is where, where heaven is galaxies and galaxies and galaxies away says, I want you to come near to me today. When you go home and you're, when you're, in your study or you're in your bedroom, you're in your living room, wherever you read and study God's Word. He says, I want you to come near. When you're at work and you're just you know, assembling things, when you're at work and you know, teaching, and God says, you know what? In those moments, you can stop and say, you can come near to me. Just talk to me. You can ask for my help. You can tell me how your day is going. You can tell me how you wish that you were God and your day was going differently. <laughs> you, just, you can come near to me. So this amazing gift of forgiveness, you know what the first gift is? He says, guys, I want you to come near. This, I want you to have a personal relationship. That's who our God is. Amazing. The second thing that he... Uh, let me give you a couple other verses. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, and all, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
amazing the invitations. Um, we're familiar there at the end of Revelation. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let him as a thirst come. God sends an invitation, an open invitation to all who will just come and seek Him. If you would, look back with me there at Genesis 45. We'll see the next, the next gift. Genesis chapter 45 and verse number 5. Joseph says to his brothers, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. This is amazing. Joseph was able to see these circumstances that were completely beyond his control, they weren't beyond God's control. He said, You guys, this was the motto of his, this is the summary of his life. You sold me, God sent me. You did this action that was completely out of my control, and God used it for his glory. And he used it. He says here in a moment, to preserve us and to have a great deliverance. And, you know, I want to I insert this here. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. You know, there are people in our world that feel so guilty. They are so guilt-ridden that they, they, they literally think the only end is to take my life is to take their own life. And how tragic is that? You see, the Bible says that there's a godly sorrow and there's a worldly sorrow. And, and the distinction is, worldly sorrow works death. It works destruction. It, it, it's, it's, a destru it's destructive to that person. But there's a sorrow that's a godly sorrow that leads someone to repentance. So should the brothers have felt sorry for what they did? Yes. But he didn't want them to be grieved so much so that it wrecked their life because he was saying, listen, I, I, I'm releasing you from the debt. I'm releasing you from it. And, and, and they never, I don't read an apology in here. Now, it may have happened. If it did, God never records it for us. But he just releases them from that debt and says, don't be grieved nor angry with yourselves. And there are Christians that maybe have made uh, some sin or wronged somebody and they really don't serve God because they can't get over it. And you know what God says to you this morning? Don't be grieved or angry with yourselves. A godly sorrow for sin leads us to repent. That means you don't do that anymore. Or something that you should have been doing, you start doing that. You see? Um, but this self-destructive you know, uh, attitude that can be in our culture, the Bible says there's a worldly sorrow. And let's be careful as believers not to have a worldly sorrow, but to have a godly sorrow if, if we've sinned, if we've wronged someone. Then uh, Joseph, he gave them a place to be safe. Notice this. He not only gave them a personal relationship, he gave them a place to be safe. Look at verse 5. Uh, now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall be neither earing nor harvest. For God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sold me... Uh, that sent me hither, but God, and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye and go to my fa go up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not, and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children and thy children's children, thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. You know what he told his brothers? Not only do I want you guys to come be near me, 
but I'm going to set aside a place for you guys in Goshen. Go get your whole family because there's still five years of this famine. And you guys, you'll come to poverty. You'll be famished out there. You come and I'll provide for you and I'll meet your needs. So he gave them a place to be safe from the famine. This is interesting about having a place in the Bible. Having a place in the Bible. Um, Go with me quickly to uh, Revelation 12. We're going to look here at a couple of things. Joseph provided them a place. A place to be safe. Revelation chapter 12. We don't have time to study this whole chapter. It's amazing. But I want you to notice two verses here. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Now, this is not Michael Bermond. This is Michael, the archangel. All right. Though Michael, I've seen him play Super Smash Brothers. He'd probably do pretty good. But now, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was there what? Place found anymore in heaven. You see, the devil and his angels, Lucifer and those angels, they had a place in heaven. But because of their sin and rebellion against God, they fight and, and, and God says, what did he do? He cast Satan out of heaven and they lost their place. Uh, Jude once says this, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, hath he reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the coming under the judgment of the great day. So these angels, they gave up a place that God had prepared for them. And now the Bible says that hell is prepared, this lake of fire is prepared for the devil and his angels, right? So God prepared another place for them. Notice with me, if you would, in Revelation chapter 20, what the Bible says here about a place. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now that verse is just as real as the verse that God gave to Joseph, that your brothers are going to bow to you. And the teenagers, all the teenagers look up here. Live for Jesus Christ. The devil is a loser. He is going to end up in a lake of fire. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to the ways of this world. The ways of this world, they're going to pass away. Listen to the God that has told us the truth and serve him because this is where Satan ends up. Verse 11, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast in a lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, there are people who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. They, they didn't have... Faith in His death, burial, and resurrection. And the Bible says they're, they're not found in the book of life. There's no place for them. So they're cast into the lake of fire. But what about you this morning? Turn with me. And many of you know where we're going. Look at John 14. Joseph had a place for his brothers to go and be safe. He said, come be near me. The famine will have no effect on you. And our Savior goes to prepare a place for us. 
If you're, if you're saved, if you know Christ as your Savior, He's going and He's preparing a place in which the judgment of that lake of fire will have no effect on you. John 14, 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Is that not what Joseph told his brothers? Go get dad. Go get your families. Come near me. I want you to be here. I'm going to provide for you. This famine, this judgment on the land will have no effect on you. And Jesus Christ says, if you believe in me, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again. And I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Isn't it just going to be awesome to be with Jesus Christ? The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I love it that God told us this. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's awesome. That is a great gift. I mean, can that happen today? Jesus, can that just happen today? Just come on back and we'll get to be with you forever. You know, it'll make any Christmas present we got look like, you know. Jesus is coming back. But let me ask you, when he comes back, has he prepared a place for you? Or will you be found to have no place and be judged out of those books according to your works? And we see if you're judged according to your works, there is no man, woman, boy or girl, that will be holy enough before a holy and righteous God. Has He prepared a place for you? Then number three, if you would look with me at Genesis 45, not only did He call them to a personal relationship, not only did He give them a place, but He gave them provision for their journey. Look at this in verse 16. They had to travel to go back and get the family, right? What about that journey? Verse 16, And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, lay your beasts and go, get you into the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, This do ye, take your wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Also, regard not your stuff. For the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. And the children of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh and gave them provision for the way. And you know what? We have a God that has given you and I provision for our journey through this life. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. God has given us provision after provision, bread after bread for the way. We know our Lord and Savior said this, Luke 4, 4, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And Jesus, every time he was tempted. Um, Satan, it says right here, boom. Uh, Satan, now the word of God says this. Jesus had provision. We've been given the Holy Spirit. In Sunday school, we looked at it. We're sealed into the day of redemption. We, we have been given the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Romans 8, 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
You know what you have for this way? You have the Word of God. You have the Holy Spirit of God. We've been given spiritual blessings. Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We've been given access to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What provision do you need for the way this morning? We've been given the promise of God's presence. Hebrews 13.5, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You see, it is exciting to think about ever being with the Lord. But God, He's not left us here on our own. He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And then the promise of God's provision. Philippians 4.19 But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And and our God really is amazing. When it comes to physical needs that people have, um, uh, God is well able to supply any physical need that we have. And uh, we can go to Him and, and just pour out our hearts to Him about that. So this morning, we see Joseph's forgiveness that he extended to others. And we've seen the, the, the forgiveness that Christ has extended to us. Ephesians 4.32 says this, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now this morning, there may be somebody in your life that you need to extend the gift of forgiveness to. And like James Knox said this, through waters deeper than most of us will ever pass, Joseph never lost his love for the brothers that hurt him so, nor his confidence in the God who allowed it. It is not the size or nature of the offense that hinders us, but our response thereto. It is not the things around us that break us, but our occupation with them rather than with Christ. May we as Joseph see the hand of God and rest in His will. We have an amazing Savior that has provided so much for us when we've wronged Him and offended Him. And Joseph is just a picture of that with his brothers, extending grace, extending mercy and forgiveness. We have a great Savior this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for being a great God.